Hey, Charlie, how's it going, my friends? I was I was about to put in my uh, name, uh, Charlie Robinson, Sean Stunt Double, but uh, I decided <laughs> against it. How are you? Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. We've got um, one of the hosts from Coast to Coast coming on at 9 o'clock later on, Josh Warren. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that because I used to listen to that show religiously um, about too. 20 years ago in America. Yeah, I listened to it as well. I got invited on by Richard Serrett. He's a fill-in host, and he had me on. The third interview I ever did for my Octopus book was Coast to Coast. I got spoiled. Was it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I lucked it's in good, that It's one. good to hear you got that history. Yeah. So tell the viewers about your little stint in Mexico before we get into exposing the NWO scumbags. Oh, it was fantastic. It was the... <clears throat> 2023 in Acapulco. It was the ninth time they've held this conference in Acapulco, Mexico. It's the largest anarchist conference in the in the world. But if you're going thinking that you're going to uh, sign up for the Molotov cocktail throwing contest or something like that, you'd be sorely disappointed. It's not like that at all. It's a really amazing group of people that are interested in freedom and happiness and being self-sufficient and getting away from <clears throat> from government oversight, building a better system, building parallel structures. Um, they're not saying let's burn down the government. They're saying just leave us alone. We're going to go do our own thing. We're going to use different uh, types of money. Uh, maybe that in in involves certain types of cryptocurrencies. We're going to homeschool our kids instead of put them in government schools where they become trained Marxist after high school, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's it, so they're, they're, they're offering alternative ideas and also solutions, which I appreciate. Day one was, uh, day one speakers was me, Jeff Berwick, Patrick Smith from the Anarchist, uh, Dan Dix from Press for Truth Canada, Larkin Rose, from who wrote The Most Dangerous Superstition, a book on government, uh, Max Egan, and followed up with Ron Paul. So it was a pretty good lineup for day one. And then wow. uh, following days were health and wellness. We had another day that was cryptocurrency. We had another day where all the doctors came in, the doctors that stood up for our rights against medical fascism over the last couple of years. They were there. Lots of workshops, lots of interactions, lots of break-off groups where you could you could meet the person that just came off the stage and ask them some questions. And uh, Berwick and I did a book signing for Controlled Demolition of the American Empire because we hadn't put it out. Uh, we were going to put. We thought I thought we were going to put it out in 2020, uh, the last time I was there. But then he was a little bit delayed, and then we had the whole flu thing, and it, it didn't wind up going out. So this was the first time Jeff and I were together in person since writing the book so we decided to have a book signing and that was a whole lot of fun we got to interact with a ton of people and it was just it's a good vibe man you leave feeling like energized and optimistic a little sad because you know that you're going back to the real world and you're you're leaving mexico and yeah maybe i was out at the bars till three o'clock in the morning but everyone was you know and, and we were all having a good time and we were telling stories and talking about this and there's a lot of networking happening ton of people from the uk uh, just um, um, like every third person I met was from Canada. Australia was fully represented. A lot of Americans, of course, but also a lot of expats living in Mexico from a variety of places that made the trip to to the event. So it was the best one yet. It was well produced. 
It was well organized. There were a couple problems early on that got hammered out and like they had an electrical problem that could have really sabotaged the whole thing. But, but the producers were on top of it. They had redundant systems and things like that. And, and it went really well. And, and, and Jeff was sober this time around, which was helpful. I think he enjoyed it quite a bit. And, um, I think the audience got their money's worth. And I think that, 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 uh, you know, HBO did a, a six part series on it called the anarchists and, and, and it was, um, it was rough, you know, to watch that, that show. And I can't say that they were wrong about it because they were following certain people, but of course, you know, they're trying to make it, you know, it's, it's made for HBO. So it's got to have, you know, all the bad stuff in it to, to kind of get you hooked. And, and of course there is a component of that, that where there's some bad stuff. And there, there were some people that were doing dumb things and getting on the wrong side of the cartels. And that's, that's just bad. That's just a bad idea in general, right? <clears throat> Regardless of Anarchapulco, they actually didn't have much of an affiliation with the event at all. So HBO did their thing. And I think people that came down expecting it to be, you know, like burning tires and things like that and, and breaking windows. And th those people would be very disappointed because it wasn't happening. Instead, what was going on was the turtle release parties that where they would take the baby sea turtles down to the beach and release them into the water and protect them so that the birds couldn't eat them. You know, I mean, so it's like, it's probably the exact opposite of what most people think of when they think of an anarchist conference. And, um, and it, you know, and it's Jeff's conference, obviously. So I wrote a book with him. So I kind of have the, the inside track on, on what's going on. And this year, this year it all worked, man. It, it, it worked and the people were great. And, uh, the representation from a variety of countries was off the charts. And I left with a lot of people. I've already conducted a bunch of interviews with people that I met while I was there. So I highly recommend it. If people have the opportunity next year in February to get out of wherever you are and go spend a week in Acapulco, Mexico. I mean, there are worse places to be. Uh, although according to the CIA, it's the third most dangerous city in the world, but I don't know. I mean, the CIA is the most dangerous city in the world, <laughs> Langley. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, listen, I, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. I really had fun. It's the third time I've been there. And I think the people that go get something out of it and they certainly do leave feeling like they're not crazy. Like you're not the only one seeing what's going on out there in the world. So, so if nothing else, you'll leave knowing that, um, there's some like-minded people out in the world that are trying to do something. Let's just rewind a little bit though, Charlie. You said something that piqued my interest. What happened with the cartel? So <clears throat> right before I went out the first time in 2020, there was a, uh, a couple, a uh, boyfriend and girlfriend and another guy that lived with them. And I think the boyfriend was selling weed. He was definitely doing something he shouldn't have been doing. I think he was warned not to do it. And, uh, something happened and knock at the gate, you know, they were living in some place way up in the hill and, uh, they came out to see, you know, the, the three of them came out to see what was going on and they were shot, you know, and the, 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 the boyfriend was killed and the other guy was shot in the leg and lived and the girlfriend, uh, was not shot, but she witnessed the whole thing and it's all on video. Like they have, they filmed her response. She was calling, you know, so a lot of this footage and they'd been being followed by an H by a, by a camera crew for a couple of years, you know, sort of documenting this. And, uh, and of course, listen, if you, 
if you happen to, if you're filming a documentary series and you know it's going to take a couple years and you happen across a couple and you spend a lot of time with them and you film them a lot and then they wind up getting, you know, murdered by the cartel, of course it's going to wind up in the show. I mean, you know it's going to wind up in a show and it's going to make things look really bad. But again, like this is just common sense 101. You don't, you don't operate on their turf doing, you know, even in this small, small way to be a competitor against them. It just seems like a really bad idea. I think maybe, and this is an assumption on my part, I think maybe they didn't um, realize that it was that big of a deal, take it that seriously, or maybe they just kind of said, oh, we're just small time people, you know, who's going to care about us? But, you know... That's, that's, um, that's how it goes. And that, and, and it was really, it was really rough. And, and listen, the two people that made it through there, the girlfriend and the guy that got shot and lived, they were both at the event. You know, the, the girlfriend was one of the producers and she's really kind of turned things around in her life. And she was a pleasure to deal with. And, and the other guy I saw there, but I didn't actually meet him, but I recognized them of course, from the, from the show. And so the show painted this as like, you know, a bunch of mentally ill people getting together, you know, tr- trying to fight the government and, and listen, of course, of course, there's that component. But what they didn't show was they didn't show the the homeschooling sections and they didn't show the people that are building uh, parallel communities where they're they're looking out for one another. And they didn't talk about the crypto component. And they showed Jeff, you know, of course, and they should interview Jeff when he was hammered, you know, I mean, so so you can spin it however you want. And 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 to a certain degree, those that that came across looking bad in that documentary sort of have themselves to blame for it. I mean, no, there, there was you can skew the footage however you want. But but it, in the end, you're on camera doing or saying or acting in a, in a way that you know, is, is sort of inconsistent with, with being taken seriously in some of this stuff. So I'm not trying to say that the producers of the show, like railroaded these people. I mean, they showed it, they showed, they showed reality, but it was just the dark side and the people kind of put themselves in this situation. But I will say that having sort of interacted with at least the, the girlfriend, um, during, during the, this recent, uh, anarchopoker and, and having not met her before, she was fantastic and and a, and and great to deal with and so you know look it's 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 HBO they're going to show it they're going to show it however they think is going to get the most interest and to to paint it in a negative light i i get it i understand it from a you know a filmmaking perspective but it wasn't a fair and it wasn't a 360 degree representation of the event if they did that they would have you know, they would have had to show a lot of really great things going on there too. So, so it, it, it it's, it's worth watching, but I don't think it's a, an accurate representation of the, of the conference at all. Not, not even close, but, but even of the anarchy movement, it's like, of course, if you want to focus on the dummies out there that are, that are acting crazy, you can do that. Or you can, you can meet uh Del big tree and, um, and, Larkin Rose and Ron Paul, who's been there all three times I've been there. Ron Paul's been there. He's not throwing Molotov cocktails. He's he's upset about cultural Marxism seeping in. He's upset about the intelligence agencies. He wants the CIA and the FBI disbanded really badly. And of course, that's going to get a standing ovation from the crowd. So, um, 
all in all, I have uh, I have real positive things to say about it. But but again, you're in Mexico. Don't act like an idiot. That that's sort of like common sense 101. If you do want to act like a like a dummy, then just you know don't be surprised if if bad things catch up to you. But but the time I was there, leaving a bar two three o'clock in the morning, walking by myself back to my hotel, never had a problem. Random street dogs followed me around, which was which was okay and and kind of cute. But um, but as far as the people there, they couldn't have been nicer. People are asking, what's the name of the documentary, Charlie? It's called The Anarchist. It's a six part series, and it was on HBO. It came out last summer. And when was that person killed? February of 2020, a week before I got on a plane. In fact, I went to a Super Bowl party. Right before, a week before I was going to go down to Anarcapulco, and this guy comes in and says, hey, you're going to Anarcapulco, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, he said the, the, the founder of it just got murdered yesterday. And I was like, what? And he was looking. I was like, I, I'm writing a book with him. He, he can't be dead, right? So he, he goes through his phone. He finds the article, and he says, well, it's this guy. Um uh, This guy, John. And I said, well, that's not, that's not Jeff. And he says, oh, well, this is like a spinoff of Anarchapulco, they were doing this thing called Anarchaforco. So like they were forking the event, like a crypto term and doing their own event kind of like in parallel with it. And I go, oh, that's not my partner on the book. That's some other guy who I don't know. Um, but still, yeah, that happened a week before I got down there. And and, and, I, and I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't know how it was going to affect the, the conference first time around because I didn't have anything to compare it to. And But, but when I was down there in 2020 and... Oh no! I take that back. It was 2019. I'm sorry. 2019 was uh, was when this happened, February. Uh, but both times, 19 and 20, when I went down there, uh, no issues. No, I didn't. I, if if you didn't know that that had happened, you wouldn't know when you were down there. Yeah, just for the viewers, then the whole of Mexico is divided into areas called plazas, and if you're trying to run contraband through Mexico, whatever plazas your contraband is going through. You've got to have the approval and you've got to pay off whoever's in charge of the local plaza. So for someone just to show up from America and set, try and set up a business in competition with the cartel in a plaza is just, that's like proper kamikaze move right there. Don't, yeah. don't ever do anything like that in, in Mexico or go down to Mexico with, with any kind of product you asking, asking for seriously heavy trouble, but the people down there, cause I, I had property in Puerto Penasco, Rocky point, you know, I was down there a lot. And at the time of my life, you know, jet skiing and partying yep. and local people were lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we, right, we, so... we didn't have any problems with, with them. Uh, the one thing that I will say, I, I don't know, are you familiar with Max Egan? He's an Australian. Yeah. Uh, 65, you know, big beard and everything. He moved down there. He he, le he left Australia in the middle of the night and wound up moving down there and buying a bar. So so right every night after the conference, everyone wound up at Max's bar called the Crow House, the Casa de los Cuervos, uh, based on his show called the Crow House. And so it was like the point, it was the place to be. Uh, during an Arcapulco, it was just people spilled out into the streets, just, you know, a beer tub over there and buying beer and sitting and sitting on the plastic chairs and tables and interacting and meeting everybody and out there till, till whenever.
till till as long as you wanted to, as long as you could keep standing. <laughs> Does Jared Salense ever go out there? I haven't seen him there. I would love to see him though. I loved I love his energy. He, oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's tired great, of it he? all, isn't he? Has he has he been uh, banned from YouTube yet? Is he still going? I don't know. I haven't seen him on YouTube. I haven't looked lately, but I, I do. The lately. white shoe boys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so you know, um, networking with all these people then and watching them do the performances at this event in Mexico. What did you learn, Charlie? Anything new? Oh, I learned a lot about... See, I'm at a, def- a, a deficit when it comes to crypto. I, I know just enough to be dangerous. So I wanted to de- make sure I was there on the crypto day and listen to everybody talk about what's coming next. And, and, and these aren't... As opposed to like the Bitcoin convention in Miami, where it's like, we're all rolling, bottle service, Lambos, all that stuff. That's really not this crowded in Arcapulco. This is more of the, we got into crypto so we could build a parallel system and we're using our uh, blockchain and we're lo- using our, our currencies to do things a different way. And so what they were talking about was, um, first of all, they showed that they did a great presentation on the 3D web, which is like kind of like the next version of the internet, kind of like the metaverse where everything is three dimensional and I watched that. It was fascinating. It was it was a, a, a talk based on a book. So this doctor was up there giving this talk about the future of where we're headed with that. I talked. Uh, I heard people talking about using um, this this new crypto called Hush, which was a cryptocurrency, a private crypto that was also uh, had the architecture built in for a messaging app that was connected to it. I don't. Like like I said, I'm 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 the wrong guy to ask about the details and technical side of this, but I was fascinated to to listen to what they were talking about. One of the things I did I did really like was they had several directors that there that were showcasing their short films. So I watched a a, a documentary on the Dutch farmers. It was uh, mostly subtitled in English. You could understand some of it, but but uh, they talked about the Dutch farmers and the plight they were having. There was another. A, same director, different short that was called, uh, did a, a show called Where Did My Period Go, which was based in France, t- talking to women that have had the you know what and were having experiencing issues with their menstrual cycles. So it was it was looking into that, uh, going in, you know, r- relatively deep into what they're finding with the, the in Europe. And so I watched those two shorts. And then there was a then the fa- finale was a movie called Jones Plantation which is a uh, live action film traditional movie based on a 13 minute animated short that Larkin Rose did one of the speakers there, the guy that wrote a book called the most dangerous superstition. And it, it's, it's about the Jones plantation in, you know, back in the days about slavery. That's the, that's sort of the obvious theme of the show, but the subplot is that it's not about slavery. It's actually about government. And it's a really well done movie. I knew it was getting made into a movie about two years ago when Berwick and I were writing Controlled Demolition. We agreed for a portion of the proceeds from the sale of that book to be used to finance the production of the movie. So we knew it was getting made. And uh, there's a guy, if you're on Twitter and you ever and you follow a guy named Legal Man, 
He's fantastic. He's really kind of had it with the government. He's a lawyer in Texas and he wound up becoming, uh, he's not an actor, but he wound up becoming Mr. Jones in this movie and, and did a great job. I mean, I say he's not an actor. He, he is every bit of an actor. It just, it turns out, but he's not a traditional actor. He was really good in the movie. So we watched that. We got a chance. I got a chance to meet the director and talk with him about the process of making it. And uh, it, it exceeded my expectations and I've been waiting for it for a while. So that will be out pretty Oh, I don't know. Pretty soon. I say a couple of months. I'm not, I'm not sure what their distribution plan is for it, but, uh, uh I got to, you know, listen, I, you just, you hear interesting points of view. There were a lot of people that were coming from, um, it's a great presentation of a guy who's in Me a very small, poor village in Mexico. That's using an alternative form of currency. That's not the Mexican peso. It's not the U S dollar and it's not crypto. It's paper money but it's almost like company store money that is used within this small little network of shops. You have to, in order to qualify, you have to be a shop that sells something and then you can use this money to kind of trade and barter. And the point is to keep the money sort of circulating through the community and not leaving because a lot of the, the money leaves. And so they had the guy who was getting his speech translated from Spanish to English, explaining how they put this into the system and, and how they got it to work. And it was so successful that it was picked up by 27 other cities in Mexico. And then the government started to get involved. And the government was like, what are you guys doing here? Because they felt like their money monopoly was getting cut out and they started to ask some questions. So what happened was that a, a few of the guys, you know, they had had a big earthquake and it had destroyed this community center, this, this government building that the government uses to sort of help resupply people with things like, you know, if you're, if you're in need, like a mission almost sort of like if you, if, if you, if you need things and you're poor, you can go there and get them, but their building had been destroyed. So the, the anarchist community that kind of helped get this, this new form of money flowing in the government made a deal with the government. They said, we'll rebuild your building and you just leave these people alone. And the government said, fine. So they rebuilt their, so they sort of had to do a deal with the government. They rebuilt their building because they were there rebuilding buildings anyway. So they said, all right, fine, we'll, we'll rebuild yours, but just leave these people alone. And they did. And the government did, they left them alone. So, so it was fast. And there was a lot of footage of this too. So it was not just a presentation. It was, it was also watching it on the screen. All of this can be watched. You can get a recap of it. At, if you go to anarchapulco.com, you can watch it all the live stream. You can watch a, a, a replay of it. Lots of really amazing present. Uh, presenters and it went on all night long because they had pre-recorded some so if you were in australia watching the live stream you were going to get you know while we were sleeping you were getting a, a feed from uh from the producers that were showing presentations so they, it was really well thought out and and no matter what you were into you would find something of interest you know and if and if it was you know if you weren't interested in this this presenter for whatever reason well, go, there's another stage where they were doing workshops and you could go hear Mark Passio talk about um, the occult symbology being used in the Hollywood industry. And you go, oh my Ooh. God, all right, I'm gonna go geek out and do that. You know, so no matter where you went, there was somebody that either you recognized from like podcasts, videos, whatever, or some author that you, I kept freaking people out because I was, I would have like a conversation with someone and they'd go, I recognize your voice. Like I didn't even know what you look like. And so they knew me from macroaggressions, but they didn't know what I look like. But I, 
but they recognized my voice. So that happened to me a, a few times and that was kind of funny. So it was just, it's just a good vibe. I think people can learn a lot from it for sure. I mean, if you just went, if you went with the intention of just, I'm going to learn as much as I can, you better bring in a big notebook. I had a notebook with me and it's, you know, and I just wrote notes on everything that I saw. So did you watch the occult symbology lecture? I missed it. I was so oh, I missed it. I missed it. I was out on the I was out on I was out on Jeff's boat, don't you know? <laughs> we were out in the bay in Acapulco, you know, smoking cigars and talking about whatever, you know. So yeah, it but uh, I I saw it on the schedule and I was like, man, if I was on this boat, I definitely would be there. But again, you you can go watch the replay and you can go see it. So So what were the projections for the next moves of the NWO and the WEF? Ooh, interesting. Well, listen, I don't think any, none of these people believe that the the lunatics running the World Economic Forum are going to be successful in their ploy to uh, enslave the world because they, it's pretty obvious that they're behind the schedule, that they're making massive mistakes. And they may have a 10-part plan for enslaving humanity. But when you get hung up on part two and you can't get to part three, it's it's really hard to take them them seriously. Now I'm you know I I don't discount what they're doing. I'm not saying you know ignore them. Definitely keep your eyes on these people in, in Davos. But but it's not going well for them. They're having a hard time. They thought that that, that after what they pulled in 2020 and 2021, they would have a population willing to do whatever they said. And w- what we're finding is that a lot of people never complied to begin with. And those that did comply are having major regrets about it. That is if they're still alive, right? Let's not discount that, (laughs) that the body count is piling up and people are starting to ask some serious questions. So, so it's not going well, but you would never let your guard down around those lunatics because they would, you know, they will find a way to uh, make you pay for that. So, so I, I think that, um, you know, if I if I had to if I had to say like the overall theme going on at Anarchapulco was they're not even really worried too much about those people. They're focused on what they're doing. They're focused on their own structures. They're focused on on syndicating uh, homeschooling curriculums to to the people that want them internationally and making sure that there's this network that's around. If you need help with your homeschooling, you have access to all these people. They'll show you how to do that. They're interested in, in building parallel systems and they're focused on that. And whatever the guys in Davos are doing is, is less important to them because they're not, um, they're not going to go grab a picket sign. They see that as a waste of time. They're, they're going to be building their own little, their own little system instead. And, and instead of trying to fix a currently broken system, which is unfixable, their thoughts are, let's build a different system that works much better. And then we'll just see which one wins. You know, we're just com- competing ideas. And if our system is better, we will draw people towards it. And if their system is better then ours will collapse, but uh, let the best idea win. So, so they're, they're not so, so focused on putting band-aids on a broken system. They're, they're more interested in building, building something brand new. So we've got about 30 minutes left with Charlie Robinson. We're halfway through. If you're watching this, viewers, please put your questions for Charlie in the live chat or the comments on Facebook, wherever you are watching it. And um, we've got... You see what this is, Sean. <laughs> Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Third edition. Just got it wow. yesterday. 
Wow. This is the uh, China's economic hitman strategy, ways to stop the global takeover. I talked to John Perkins about this in December. He said number three was coming out and that it was going to focus on China's role in Africa and China's role in South America. So this book just showed up last night. I haven't even opened it yet. I'm excited to read it. Do you know more about China's role? Have you got have you got to research it? To yeah, I did. I did an episode uh, called "The New Silk Road," where I dug into what they were doing and uh, in this massive project that they have this this thirty year pro. Well, it'll be a little bit more than thirty years, but uh, about thirty years from now, it should be complete. And what they have predicted, you know, I, there's there there's competing beliefs on this. There's some. There's the Peter Zihan. Uh, camp that says china won't even exist in 10 years due to demographic issues and uh and then there's others that think that china will you know exceed america and will be a power to be reckoned with and they will do so through the use of this belt and road initiative which is a uh global well semi-global i guess when it's all built out it'd probably be fairly global but but asia Africa, Middle East, Europe, uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which is over land and through sea. And it's the construction of ports, railroads, skyscrapers, roads, coal burning power plants, uh, bridges, airports, dams, rail, railway tunnels, things like that. Massive project, a lot of infrastructure. So could be a money laundering scheme too. You never know. <laughs> You've got tons of questions that have come in. Um, here's one related to the China then. We'll, we'll go with that with this one first sure. from, from Fiona. Does the book refer to China's role of the hashtag Belt Road Initiative? I, I haven't read the book yet. I'm I'm almost positive it does because I talked to John about that. And so I'm sure it's in there. If you want information on the Belt and Road Initiative, it, you can go to Macroaggressions, my show, and go back a couple of weeks and you'll find a show called The New Silk Road. You can find it in audio format or video format. And uh, I did a pretty extensive breakdown of that, you know, because it, J Perkins is actually a good guy to talk to about this because you know, in Confessions of an Economic Hitman, he was an, he's an American working for a company called Maine, which is like Halliburton. And his in the, the deal that he was doing was that he was partnered up with the IMF and the World Bank. They were the financial backers for his company, Maine. And he would approach these countries like Ecuador and he'd say, you know, you have the right topography here for a hydroelectric power plant. It'll cost three billion dollars. Um, you could benefit immensely from this. Your kids, you know, you have electricity, you'll you'll you know, you're. Your daily life will not end when the sun goes down. You'll extend it several hours. Your kids will learn to read at night, you know, things like that. And, and it'll, it'll make a lot of money. So there's this sales pitch. And don't worry about the money. The IMF and World Bank said you're good for it. We've got this loan figured out, right? So his com company would go in there, get these countries to sign on to this massive debt. His They'd never see the money. The IMF and World Bank would pay his company, Maine, to build it. They'd build it and make a ton of money. They'd get this hydroelectric power plant. It would start generating revenue and power, um, but the revenue it generated would never be enough to make the payments. You know, you'd almost instantly fall behind in it by design. It was a, it's a debt trap. They admitted that this is this is what it was. John Perkins didn't know that. He worked there for ten years. He didn't know that for the first seven years. He did know it for the last three years, and then it got to him, and then he left. So, you know, 
what he's talking about with, with regard to America using economic hitman versus China using them is that he said, at least with us, and he says, and I'm not trying to, you know, he wasn't trying to like justify what he was doing, but he said, at least with us, when we built these hydroelectric power plants, they were well built and they worked. Whereas with China, China doesn't build things very well. So he wonders about the role in, and, and again, I'm, I'm excited to get in the book, but this is just from my conversation with him. He wonders about the role of these economic hitmen in Africa, the Chinese ones, and are they going to build infrastructure projects in Africa that even last, you know? So, so the Chinese don't have this predatory idea behind, you know, the, the Belt and Road Initiative. To them, it, it actually is, we want this to work. We're not trying to get you into some trap. In fact, the, 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 the interest rates that I saw when researching that the Africans were paying the Chinese were like 2%, right? So it was very reasonable. They weren't, they weren't gouging them on interest rates. They just wanted these projects to get built partly for their own self-interest, right? They need access to these raw materials that are inland in Africa and, and the topography of Africa is difficult. You know, it's tough to really, you know, maybe you had a road from the mine to the, to, to, to the sea, you know, but it, n nothing ever was really connected. And China wants to make those connections. They want to build a port in Nairobi. They want to build, um, they want to have access to all of these raw materials and resources that Africa is sitting on, which is trillions of dollars. And so, so it's a big gamble. It's a lot of money going out. It's an almost, you know, it's, a, it's the biggest construction project in the history of the world. And and there's some people that think that it's it's never going to be even close to feasible, but uh, we'll see what happens. But 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 there is that John makes a distinction between sort of the American hitman and the Chinese hitman. So we'll see what we'll see what the book holds. It sounds like China's in the business of building things up, and America's in the in the business of bombing them down. <laughs> China builds hospitals for sick Africans. America builds graveyards for dead ones. That's what we wow. do, unfortunately. I've got a question from Ray J here. We had a question from Fred about your opinion on UK politics, but pertinent to that is, does Shelley have an opinion on the WhatsApp leak in the UK? And for people not familiar then, there were thousands, 100,000 private WhatsApp messages involving Matt Hancock um, leaked. And the main things were that Boris Johnson was a distrusted figure. They were frightening the pants off everybody. There was snogging and heavy petting and partying going on at the top level while the rest of us were, to were told to just buckle down. Um, <laughs> calls to sack the useless loudmouth uh, COVID uh, scientist. Um, yeah, any, any thoughts on that? Obviously, we can't talk about the thing that you stick in yourself. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, go, go I mean, as if Hat Mancock wasn't hated enough already. <laughs> and you have to roll this out with these WhatsApp messages. I don't know, man. I, I it, They should have left him in Australia. <laughs> or the Naked and Afraid or whatever that show was where they sent him out there. It, I'll tell you, it felt a little a little on the nose to me when I'm reading through them, it felt like they were fake. I mean, I'm not saying they are, but it was like, why don't we do this with the, 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 the and you know, it's, I don't know. I guess they thought that they were, maybe they thought that they were going to be kept secret forever from time to time. Leaks do happen. I was a little suspicious at first, but uh, uh, I, of course not surprised at all that this was uh, uh, that they were talking about this, this stuff 
you know, so openly. We 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 knew what was going on. We understood what was going on. And these are, and again, guys like Matt Hancock, these are low-level disposable managers of Empire. These guys get they he thinks he's he's a big shot. He thinks he's a big star, but the Empire themselves consider these guys to be utterly disposable and completely useless. I mean, this is the a cutout if I've ever seen one before. So, so his life will be ruined, which is fine. Although he'll probably get a consulting gig where he gets paid 400 grand to play golf with clients and whatever. But, but, um, you know, for the rest of us, we look at this and we go, we told you these guys are scumbags. I mean, what, what more do you, the conspiracy theorists got it right again. Oh no. Who's keeping score. Yeah, I watched an interview on True Geordie's channel the other day. It was an interview of a male escort, and he got into it through massage. And then these elite ladies started procuring his services. And then it got to the point where he was getting invited to all these elite parties, and it confirmed what David Icke was saying in you know in these various rooms and stuff. He said he saw top-level, cabinet minister-level politicians coked up one in particular he recognized was wearing a diaper and getting bossed around and they were just engaging in all in, in all of these in all of these activities and making jokes and he said he realized at that point that these psychopathic people viewed the public as cattle they had no regards for the public whatsoever it was all about their own hedonistic enjoyment and pleasure and wealth and power, you know, 48 laws kind of uh, plots and schemes employed by these people. And it, it just it, it made him realize just how, you know, the inequity of the world and how these psychopaths were put in charge and, and what the real agendas were. Um, but, yeah, I found that quite fascinating because that's, you know, David Ike a long time ago said they were all, Doing way more nefarious stuff, you know, with oh, yeah. uh, miners and things like that. And, Dolphin and this Square guy, and yeah, this, this, homes, guy, yeah. this guy, this guy said he he didn't doubt they were doing that. It probably would have been in rooms that weren't accessible to him because that's how they get the jollies. You know, they get all the money and the power in the world. They're going to get the jollies from doing things that are extremely taboo. Yeah, and Whitney Webb in her book uh, detailed how J. Edgar Hoover would go to these parties that Roy Cohn would throw Roy Cohn being later Trump's attorney uh, back in the eighties. Um, Roy Cohn was running an Epstein esque operation in New York city, a, a sexual blackmail entrapment operation when he wasn't, you know, advising uh, um, on the red scare that was going on. They, the, you know, everybody's a commie uh, that was, that was happening in, in the United States during that time. And they would, he'd throw these parties at the Plaza hotel and J Edgar Hoover would show up in a dress, you know, dressed as a woman. And, and, and it, and the reason was because they, it was like a nuclear arms race. They both had the goods on each other. And it got to the point where it was like, Everybody in that circle knew that that J. Edgar Hoover was a crossdresser and a homosexual. And of course, that would be detrimental to his career if if the general public knew that. So it was kept hidden. But he felt so comfortable in those circles that he just showed up to the party dressed as a woman. And everyone knew, obviously, who, who it was, that it was him. So when you get up, up, up to that very, very top level, you know, once you once the door is locked, you know, that that 
they, they're all guilty, right? They all have uh, enough info on each other. So it reminds me of uh, Chatham House rule, right? Nobody says, nobody mentions any names. You can talk about the information, but nobody mentions any names. One of the things that the male escort said on the True Jody channel was that some of these elites have a blackmail fetish whereby they put themselves in situations and challenge people to blackmail them. Oh, I, and, I, and, I, and they, they get off on this. I wouldn't doubt it, man. I mean, listen, if you're dressed in a diaper, getting bossed around at some party in front of a bunch of other people, you have to have your head examined for sure. And I'm sure there's a lot of this going on. I think that when you like, you know, what it's like thrill seekers, it's guys that jump out of airplanes or hang glide off of mountains and everything. It's like, what's the next thing that's going to get you off? You know, what's, what's that next high? You know, I want to put myself in a situation that seems impossible and get myself out of it. And then, wow, what a, what a rush that is. It sounds crazy to us. Clearly we would never want to do that, but I think that there is something to it. I think that there, I think that that's as crazy as it sounds. It is actually also very reasonable because you're not dealing with normal people at these high levels. You're dealing with, you're dealing with sociopaths, people that, that, that seek attention and power and things that are not for sale necessarily. And maybe if they're wealthy, they've bought everything that has a price tag on it. And now they're looking for something else to get them, you know, to get them off. And so it's easy for us to be dismissive of that when you hear and go, oh, get out of here. That's crazy. But, but what if you were in their, in their shoes where you had, you've done it all? What's the next thing that you do? And, and maybe that is putting yourself in, in these really horrible situations and asking to be, uh, you know, asking to be blackmailed. It sounds, it sounds preposterous. Clearly we, we know that, but, but again, these are not normal people. So it's, it's reasonable to think that they will be doing unreasonable things. Yeah. He said it's prevalent across the country in these mansions and these private parties and the, the, the majority of them are at it. All right. Next question is from Fred. And we've only got about 15 minutes left with Charlie. We are live. Uh, put any questions for him in the chat, please. We'll try and get through these. Fred wants to know, are they building a spaceport in Ireland? I hope so. <laughs> Save me a seat on the ride. I'm ready to get off this planet, man. Let me out of here. This is crit. No, I don't know anything about it. I'm not saying they aren't, but I'm just saying I don't know anything about it. Ray J wants to know if you think the leaks were a mistake designed to encourage handover control to WHO treaty. I do. I do. I think that, I think that though it's reasonable to want to out these people for sure. And if you've got the goods on them and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, it was somebody that was writing a book with the person that would, with Matt Hancock that, that had access to these. I might be wrong on it, but, but I thought that's what I heard. So it is possible that you could legitimately have access to them. But when you, when you embarrass these people and you know that like currently in, in America, the World Health Organization Treaty is, is has, well, I think it's already been signed by now. I have an episode coming out on it next week talking about how, actually, no, it came out today, talking about how the World Health Organization is set to take take a uh, control of the sovereignty of the United States, actually all the countries that sign on to this treaty, this doctrine, whatever to, in the case of a medical emergency, that this organization would be 
uh, granted powers that that ex- that usurp the states and that they would be in charge of decision making for a variety of things all of them very bad so i can i can envision a situation where they make the current administration sort of the low level government bureaucrats like matt hancock and the like look so incompetent and so evil and so awful that you go i never want to deal with those people again We've got to find a better solution. And then the World Health Organization sort of says, well, we're here to do that. We're, we're here to, we're going to do that. We're, we're going to take care of this for you. You'll never have to worry about these, these politicians, these corrupted politicians and this disjointed response. Well, we're, we're going to have a world response. We're going to tell all the governments what to do. We're going to tell them all what they, what they can and can't prescribe, what's mandated and what isn't. And we all know what we're talking about when we say that. And in what the lockdowns will look like, they would have authority to lock down all the airports around the world. I mean, it is crazy. The amount it is giving up your sovereignty to the to the World Health Organization, which let me remind you, is under the umbrella of the United Nations, which was started by David Rockefeller, who is a depopulation enthusiast, to put it mildly. So Again, this isn't you're not handing this over to the the sisters of Mary Catholic Church down the street for them to do what's best for you, you know what I mean? You're handing this over to literal psychopaths that want to create a one world government through medical fascism. So it's the worst type thing. So I do agree with that that statement that 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 this could have been something in order to um, you know, pivot to the world health uh, policy. Psychedelic Fish is asking what you think about Russell Brand destroying MSNBC over the mainstream narrative. Someone had to do it. <laughs> they deserve it. I mean, I I love what Russell is saying. Period. I have obvious questions like anybody does about how you are allowed to say that. Listen, I have questions about how he was allowed in the United States. Because I know that there's a requirement that you have to have a particular thing coming from a foreign country before you can come into the United States. So did he get the foreign thing, the thing before he came into the to, to the country? If so, hard to be real critical about that when you're on that team. You know what I mean? So I, I, I love his ability. He's really good at making the people like, you know, on the panel like him and he did it when he was on msnbc too by the way not just on on uh on uh, uh hbo with bill maher but when but he, he has this ability to comfort the people around him get i very much like you oh you're very great i think you're a charming guy i think you're great you know now let me insult you and and he's great at that man and and he did a number i haven't watched the rogan uh interview yet though but i did see the uh I did see the 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 Bill Maher bit. Look, he's right. MSNBC is 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 corrupt. I'd like to remind people that the MS in MSNBC stands for Microsoft. Okay, so and we know about the Gates Foundation and we know about their role in this whole thing. So if you think you're going to get honest news from MSNBC, Microsoft NBC about a particular thing that swept the nation three years ago and created havoc. And you've got the guy from Microsoft going around the world saying that there's only one way out of this. I mean, of course you're going to have propaganda. Do you watch Awaken with JP? I I saw one of his videos um, about unknown cause of death being the leading cause of death in certain Canadian cities. 
I just like the way he he phrases things. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, there. If you come at this, there's certain segment of the population that you'll be able to reach with facts and information and boil it down. There's another segment that you're going to reach, unfortunately, by scaring them. But there's yet another segment of the population that you will reach with humor. And I remember years and years ago in America, back back when you were in America, when Jon Stewart had The Daily Show. And we'll, we'll, we'll take him out of the equation for what he's kind of talking about currently. But back when he was doing The Daily Show, he had this ability to tell you a story, of a serious story that was in the news about what was going on. But he could do it in a way that where he found the humor in it without being disrespectful to, say, the victims or whatever. But he would he'd find a way to make you laugh at it. And so... You got the story and you got to laugh and it and it clicked for a lot of people. That was a, a good way to, to deliver bad news for, for a lot of people. And I think that guys like JP or Ryan Long or the, you know, these people that have found an outlet to sort of use humor to make their point, I think those guys are very effective because the the here in America, the loony left and Full disclosure, I'm not a Republican. I'm not on the right side. But the, the, the insane left, one thing that they have in common is no sense of humor. They just cannot find the funny in any of this. But everyone else sees it. And we're mocking it and we're laughing at it. And what these guys have done, like JP and, and the like, they have found a niche where they can get their message across using humor in a way that you could read a, a hundred articles and not get that, you know, not, and still not see it. They can make it click like that with, Oh yeah, this is really silly. This is preposterous, you know? And, and Rogan does that in his comedy and, and Russell Brand does that in his, in his, um, uh, on his show and, and in, in interviews. And I think that's the way, I think that's the way to get at a certain segment of the population where you're just going to have to make them laugh until they understand it. Quite a few people have asked whether James Corbett was at the conference in Mexico. Not this year, but I did meet him in 2019. He he um, he was unable to make it. It's a bit of a you know he's coming from Japan. It's it's a it's 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 not as easy as as my direct flight from Denver to Acapulco, which it makes it really easy when you when you're James. I mean, he's been invited. He's been plenty of times. He just wasn't there this year. So Fiona, what's your thoughts on Gates saying the next pandemic will be man-made? What, is, what do they mean, the next one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is called predictive programming and also inside knowledge. Yeah, I just have a, uh, I have a, an episode, I have an episode on Bill Gates coming out uh, next week. Uh, I'm talking about his foundation and what they've been up to and what, where they've been banned and what, you know, sort of crimes against humanity they've been involved in over the, the last 20 years of that money laundering uh, tax shelter known as the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. What do you think about Sam Bankman freed? Sam Bankman freed scam bank run fraud. <laughs> Uh, I think he's a useful idiot for the Democrats. He's a money launderer. He's a social justice moron. He's a, um, he's a, he's a guy that is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a criminal clearly. And, and there's and in America, 
the best thing you can do if you're a criminal is be the biggest criminal around. Because once you get too big, then you have all these connections to very powerful people. And if you go down, theoretically, they go down. So if you're a low level guy and you've got no, no juice, you're, you know, you, you could be in a lot of trouble when you're Sam Bankman freed and you've been giving money to all of these Democrats, uh, over the last, you know, at least two election cycles, then it's very difficult for them to put you in prison when there's disclosure during these trials. And it turns out that they've met with you, that they've taken your money. And so what you wind up having is a bunch of people going to bat for you, a bunch of people defending you, a bunch of people saying, well, you know, we needed to change these crypto laws and we needed to do this. And my, the, we were calling for it. The Republicans wouldn't do it. And, you know, and, and then they turn it into this partisan fight. And if you can get that to go on, then you'll be saved because you'll at least have one half of the operation fighting on your behalf. And, and that's where he is. He's actually in, you know, he'll probably go to prison for real, but, but he's, he's in, he's in a position where he's given money to the right people and made them guilty by association too. So now they have to sort of help themselves. And by helping themselves, theoretically, they could be helping him. So uh, he's a criminal though. And I did a I did a whole episode on him. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the person in that organization to watch out for. He's not technically in their organization, but it's his brother, Gabe Bankman Freed. And Gabe Bankman Freed took a lot of that money and put it into policies and and uh, operations that were researching the human genome projects and things like that. And when you start talking about the genome project, what you're really talking about is eugenics. And so there is a theme once again, running through all these elite lunatics that they want to depopulate the planet. And, and of all the things I saw with the FTX situation, the money that Gabe Bankman Freed was giving out was to me the most alarming because it was going to some operations that are looking to thin out the herd. And of course, you know, with them being in charge of who gets thinned out and who doesn't. Yeah. And I think I've watched CoffeeZilla do a lot on Sam and I also like what Coffee Dilla did on, on Logan Paul as well. I can't remember if it was Coffee who said that Sam was donating publicly to the Democrats to raise his popularity, but giving equal amounts to the Republicans privately to maintain his power base. He he was giving their their CFO, Ryan Salami, who was was the guy who was giving money to the Republicans. Um so it was going from Alameda to Sam to uh, out to Ryan Salon. And Ryan had like a, a, a charity or a pack or something set up. And then that was funding Republicans. But it wasn't even. It most definitely wasn't an even amount of money. They gave some to the Republicans, but it was like 95% Democratic. And, okay. and, and it was... Uh, and, but yeah, L listen, when you... When the when the goal is is to win and get yourself regulated, you know, this is the don't throw me in the briar patch uh, strategy, you know, and so the, he wanted them. He wanted FTX wanted regulation, but they wanted to be the ones driving the regulation, basically regulate us in a way that benefits us and locks out all of our competitors. So if that's the goal to get regulation that benefits you. And you've got basically unlimited money, which is what they had. And this isn't 
the Super Bowl where you have to pick, you know, whether you're going to bet on the Kansas City Chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles. It doesn't matter. Your only goal is to win. The question is, why wouldn't you bet on both teams? And that's, of course, what he did. So he placed bets on both teams. But that being said, the Democrats got a much larger proportion of the money. Um, and and Sam didn't want it to look like he was giving money to the Republicans because he's he's a social justice phony. And so that's why he had his CFO do it instead. He said, you're going to be the Republican right-leaning guy in this organization, everyone else, whether he was or wasn't, but he was going to, he was set up to be that guy. And of course, we'll, we'll find out when, when, when everything comes out in, uh, in, in court, whether or not any of these people had any sort of ideological interest in this stuff, or if they were just using kind of woke terminology and hollow rhetoric to, to see, to appear like they cared about these causes and therefore, you know, have the Democratic Party and all their bought off operatives uh, work in their in their favor because they think that they're ideologically aligned with them. They, it may be there's I've seen some quotes from Sam that was like, yeah, we got to donate money to all these woke nonsense, whatever things. So I don't even think he was on board with it, to, to be totally fair. Yeah, definitely the latter. They're just uh, tools at the disposal of the psychopaths. What do you think of Senator Ron Johnson? Um, I don't know too much about Senator Ron Johnson. I don't trust any of them. I'll, I'll just I'll say that because at their core, some are better than others. Obviously, I just saw Ron Paul and he's got his son, son Rand Paul there. I think some are better than others, but they all take their money from the same people. And those those people give money to both sides. So I don't... Um, um, I, I don't, I don't think that, uh, when you're, when you're dealing with senators and Congress, you know, all the people in Congress, it's like, it might be a degree or two better than, than the others, or maybe they say something in public and you go, Oh, I like that guy. And, and I think Ron Johnson is probably one of those guys who said some, some good things in public at, at its, at his core. He's, he's at the, he's at the parties too. You know, he's he's at the parties. Maybe he's wearing the diaper for all we know. <laughs> I don't know. FTX wanted regulatory status power. That's one of the comments. Yeah. Well, look at Enron. Enron wanted regulatory status power. They single-handedly got to write the energy policy of the United States by becoming the Bush crime family's biggest contributor, flying the Bushes around in the private jets. And look how much they, the billions that they fleeced. Yeah. And who... Who taught uh, Al Gore the carbon tax hustle? Ken Lay. Ken Lay was his best friend, the CEO of, of Enron, who may or may not have died from a heart attack. I don't know. Charlie, it's always a pleasure. Can you let the viewers know where they can find you and support you, please? Absolutely. You can uh, you can subscribe to my free podcast, Macroaggressions, in audio format wherever podcasts are served. I also have a group show called The Union of the Unwanted and a third one called Day Zero. Um, the website is the octopus of global control.com. You can find my books on Amazon. Just search Charlie Robinson. There's, there's three of them there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at macroaggression where I argue with robots, but it's fun. And Sean, thank you again for having me on. I always appreciate our discussions. Take care. Cheers, my friend. Yep. Check out right. Charlie's books. They're very highly rated on Amazon. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you. See you.